0: Welcome back to the Be a Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. On today, we have a special guest, author of not one but two books. Most recently, The Beginner's Guide to Being a Trans Ally. We're gonna get into that in just a moment. But first, we have a very special announcement from today's sponsor, and it's really important message for today. Um, You can support Biffle Season 2, an LGBTQ plus comedy with a lot of drama. When you head over to the show notes, you're going to be taken to a link to a Kickstarter that allows us to support this important queer content. They are so close to meeting their goal, and of course, the clock is ticking. Uh, The timer on that Kickstarter event closes tonight at midnight. So enjoy me in listening to a snippet about Biffle. I gonna talk to her tonight. F- off. I have a feeling this new year is going to be really great for us. And how do you feel? Like I'm going to puke. Let the nonsense no. commence! Oh. To learn more about Biffle, the creators of Biffle, and ways you can support queer content,
1: head over to the show notes. Now, on with today's show. Well, hi, I'm Christy Whittlesey. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm so glad to be here today to chat with you, Tricia. I have been an educator in settings ranging from pre-K to higher ed for the past 20 years. I am a music educator and an arts administrator in a school district north of Boston, and I have done a lot of research on the area of uh, gender diversity and striving towards allyship uh, with trans youth and adults in our communities and have written two books on that topic. It's okay to say they tips for educator allies of transgender and non-binary students and the beginner's guide to being a trans ally.
0: Christy, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I've really appreciated following you on Twitter for a while. Um, You know, again, what you're sharing is fantastic. And listeners, I know that some of you are already over there in the Queer Wisdom Slack group. I will have the link to that in the show notes. Christy and I were chatting before the interview started. Uh, We're going to be discussing her new book And she has agreed that she's going to chat with us a little bit more in 2022 regarding that new book. And Christy, you know, I woke up this morning to the news that um, as of today, 2021 is the deadliest year for trans folk in the US, Uh, you know, a heartbreaking milestone to cross uh, and a stark reminder of just the importance of your brand new book. And I'm wondering if you could kind of give folks. The elevator pitch um, of your of your latest book, you know, in essence, kind of who is this book for, and why is it important for them right now?
1: Sure, I, and I think that figure that you shared is just so upsetting. And this is not just happening in the U.S. You know, if you look at the U.K. and other countries, I mean, in Poland there are you know zones designated mm-hmm. LGBTQ free zones. So this is kind of a global issue, and I really hope that people are focused on this issue everywhere, but uh, the beginner's guide is designed for cisgender people or people who are not transgender who want to learn more about ways they might be a better ally to trans and non-binary folks. Uh, We all have different levels of experience with gender diversity, and some people may have questions they're uncomfortable asking or they may be worried about doing the wrong thing in situations in which they're unfamiliar. So, The the Beginner's Guide is a research-based, easy-to-read toolkit that highlights stories of allyship and shares practical and straightforward approaches uh, that will support folks in their work and not only supporting the trans and non-binary people in their own lives, but also creating safer, more equitable, and more inclusive communities that will benefit all of us. And, um, this book is also a fundraiser benefiting the Gender Reveal Podcast Grant and Mutual Aid Program that is designed to support trans and non-binary folks of color from around the globe. Wow, that's amazing! I actually I hadn't realized
0: that. And Gender Reveal is actually a, a podcast I really love. Um, so that's that's wonderful news. Christy, anybody who's listening, who's worked with me knows I'm like a total nerd about book clubs. Like I love educator book clubs. um, uh, And I've had, you know, bosses before that are sort of like, okay, yes. Okay. you, You want us to pick up, you know, 20, 30 copies of this, you know, basically make the case for it. Why is this a great book for a book group? And of course, you know, all schools have limited funds. So that, you know, it needs to be sort of the, why, why does our current context need this book to be a book club? So for educators who are listening, who are saying, I want to bring this text to my boss and make the case for, you know, we need multiple copies of this on campus. um, Can you, can you kind of point us to a few good reasons um, Mm -hmm. that would help make that case?
1: Absolutely. Educators need training on gender diversity and supporting gender friendly schools. Now students are increasingly sharing their gender status as trans or non-binary in schools, which is wonderful that they're feeling confident to do that. Um, And at the same time, uh, educators often don't have the training skills or experience required to adequately meet the needs of these students. So I can tell you that a few years ago when I was working towards my PhD, I was seeing this happen over and over again uh, in my own school district and also in conversations with educators from around the nation. And I began looking through research um, at the time that was specifically geared towards educators and, and helping them with this process. And there really wasn't um, much out there. So that became my dissertation topic. That's how I kind of came to this. Um, and what I have learned is that we see negative outcomes for trans and non-binary youth as compared with their cisgender peers in so many areas. And that is, um, A lot of that is because we exist in a very gender binary system. Schools are designed to reinforce a gender binary where students who are cisgender boys or cisgender girls fit neatly within that system, but students who don't are constantly reminded through the course of every day uh, that they don't you know, fit in or that the, the systems weren't built with them in mind. And that's as they interact with school facilities that may be sex separated, with um, class organization that may, might be separated boys, girls, with curriculum that does not represent them, policy that doesn't protect them, and educator practice um, from either educators who really have good intentions but not adequate um, training or who have pretty significant bias themselves and are acting on that bias. So those negative outcomes that I talked about include you know, increased rates of failure, of school absenteeism, of school dropouts, and in the worst cases, very high rates of um, self-harm and considering suicide or attempting suicide. And in fact, um, research data from the Trevor Project for multiple years now has illustrated that up to almost half of trans youth have considered suicide. And so that is the point that I think that Uh, administrators need to hear that this really is a matter of life or death for a lot of students. And the research also shows that for trans and non-binary youth who have supportive, affirming, and accepting adults in their lives, the rate of the suicidality is cut by almost half. And so there is power in this work. And We really need widespread training for all the adults who work with children uh, to learn how to create more gender friendly school communities. And you know, Christy, I often hear school admins say, number one
0: priority is safety of of the children who uh, belong to that community. And I think this is a, do you really mean that? Because this absolutely is a child safety matter. Um, you know, in in looking through the the first chapter of your book, you've got this lovely section in your acknowledgments where you talk about mentors who played a role um, in helping you. Because the you know, again, it, the book is research driven, uh, and I know that it's it's not always an easy task to be kind of um, you know getting yourself into that researcher mindset in the middle of a pandemic, uh, I'm guessing that wasn't always easy to find that focus and and that drive. So I'm just kind of curious to hear from you um, what that mentorship meant to this book. Uh, And if you have kind of a a research moment that, you know, years from now, it's going to stick with you.
1: Absolutely. So I mentioned Dr. Judy Davidson in my acknowledgments. Judy was my dissertation chair, um, you know, back when I was in my, my PhD program and was a qualitative research specialist. And I, through the program, it took me six years to complete my PhD. And for a few years, I was kind of just floundering around nothing. I wasn't passionate about any research topic. And then I kind of experimented with some arts-based research approaches. And Judy said, This is this, this is your passion. This is where you need to to ground everything. So, and she also really encouraged me to then get involved with learning from trans youth about their experiences um, because I was talking to her about my practice and and being frustrated about this. Um, So I really do owe so much to her. Um, And I can't emphasize enough the value of using arts-based research in exploring um, complex social issues. You know, I used, um, over the years have used photo voice and a performance ethnography to kind of show different angles of people's experience and stories and make emotional connections with the people who were uh, at the at the receiving end of the research so rather than just you know for example reading an academic paper which many people don't have time or inclination to do um, if if you can present the information visually or through video or or another arts based approach it can really make connections with people and so one when i present for school districts now one of my slides just shows pictures that students drew and as we all know, there's no one trans experience, um, but I there was a really clear theme in the visual imagery that students shared with me. So just putting all these, you know, pencil and paper drawings on the screen of students not smiling, with you know bars between them and other students with words like "unnoticed" on the paper. This is very powerful. Um, so that is the research that actually. Uh, informed the first book. it's okay to say they. for for this one, I uh, used kind of more traditional qualitative approaches and interviews and and surveys. and it was really a unique experience trying to first make connections with people to to see if they might be willing to share their stories during the lockdown, uh, and then conducting interviews over. Zoom or other platforms or standing very far apart outside if I was Mm -hmm. local enough to get to them. Um, It was it was definitely um, a different kind of research experience. But um, I learned so much and I was so impressed by all of the participants in their candor and um, the value of the stories that they shared. So that was definitely the high point for me.
0: Uh, You know, and I I bring this up in part because I know many of the listeners work at international baccalaureate schools, students in that program um, in grade 11, grade 12 have to conduct something called Extended Essay, which is a research driven project. And I think obviously your book is an important one for the reasons we've already discussed. But, you know, it, it also strikes me that as we are trying to, you know, kind of embed this value of why research is such a powerful tool for, you know, social change and justice. Uh, This book is is another great one. I know often schools will sort of put together a micro library collection just to inspire students in terms of the researcher skills that you're about to pick up. here's why they are truly lifelong skills that, that you want to be able to refine. So folks who are listening, this book is also a great one, I think um, for those of you who are also looking to ex- inspire extended essay students. Uh, Christy, I want to do this weird thing of quoting your work back to you. So bear with me for a moment. Um, you write quote, "All oppression is linked." When we participate in limiting or excluding others, we diminish the fulfillment of our own humanity. In order to acknowledge and celebrate the diversity that enriches our communities, we need to stand up for one another. Working for liberation for all is important if we are all to benefit from more inclusive and equitable communities, end quote. Uh, it's just such a powerful quote that um, you know really resonated with me. And I just would love to hear you say more about your journey in getting to that idea and explain how that thinking has been met when you've shared it with audiences so
1: far. Sure. The idea that we're all connected and need to support each other in our intersectionalities is so important to me, uh, but it's not its not a new idea. You know, many people have written about this concept from Nelson Mandela to Howard Zinn to Audre Lorde. Um, and Audre Lorde wrote, among those of us who share the goals of liberation and a workable future for our children, there can be no hierarchies of oppression. And when they appear to destroy me, it will not be long before they appear to destroy you. So this isn't a me versus you, you know, binary type of situation when it comes to supporting various communities. Um, Stacy Ann Chin also talks about how, if this is a bad paraphrase, but basically if you put all the people who hate black people, who hate LGBTQ people, who hate uh, women's rights, who hate immigrants, et cetera, um, and you kind of layer those lists one on top of another, the chances are there's going to be a lot of overlap and um, these people are related in some way or maybe the same people. So for example, there are people and groups out there that are currently pushing to control cisgender and transgender women's bodies, whether that be access to abortion rights or access to sports or other healthcare and so on. And fighting for authority over my body then is intrinsically linked to fighting for the rights of trans people. And uh, most often we're fighting a common enemy here. We need to link together to present a united front in the face of systems that cause oppression or harm. Typically when collaborating with educators on creating gender-friendly school environments, I bring this up in a very introductory way and talk about how creating an inclusive and equitable school community benefits us all. And we're not only making efforts to support the trans, Folks in our community, but also this is people. So we talk about gender language and overuse of of gender ideas. And um, you know, personally, when I am in meetings and someone says, "Well, I'd say something," but there's a lady present, or have apologized to me if they perceive me to be the only woman in the room and they use an expletive, I'm like, "Really." You know, this type of microaggression is not only upsetting because it implies that I'm too fragile to hear this type of language, but it also reinforces these ridiculous gender norms that are all tied to systems of patriarchy and a gender binary. So when I put the ideas in these terms and people think, oh, that kind of thing has happened to me before too, I usually see nodding heads because people can relate. and, you know, often those with privilege don't think about issues of oppression because they're not the ones being oppressed. And that's kind of the nature of privilege, right? But it's just so important that we all engage in these efforts to push against systems uh, that cause harm and consider how we can fight together for inclusivity and equality in our communities.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, again, I'm, and I'm so thankful that you're providing resources where uh, i'm a big advocate for sometimes we just need to rehearse mindsets like it's sort of like we need practice you know you you were talking earlier about often schools are relying on outdated practice and even you know in air quotes traditions because we haven't had those moments to even rehearse what else it could sound like look like be like Um, and and i kind of just think it's you know often just let's walk the walk uh, together in a way where we're going to support each other and listen to, uh, you know, okay, this might be uncomfortable for you. Is your level of comfort the only comfort that we need to prioritize? And just having, a, you know, that as a kind of an ongoing sustained dialogue is so important. And I really think your, your new book is going to help us sustain that conversation. Christy, I'm always interested in the decisions that authors make in terms of structure. I'm wondering if you might walk us through what was the toughest decision that you made? Um, You know, I I would say when folks sort of get their hands on this book and they're looking at the chapters, it might even be difficult if you are that person who doesn't necessarily start and, you know, work through a book uh, in a linear fashion. If there's a chapter that you're thinking, oh, I want to jump in on that one. It's not going to be an easy choice for folks to make, but I'm wondering if you might just uh, walk us through one of those really crucial decisions, why it was a tough one, and, and why
1: you made it. Well, organizing the chapters was such an interesting process. I knew that I wanted to chunk the information into short chapters to make it easy and accessible, um, because this is a new idea for many people, you know, thinking about issues of gender diversity and, and allyship. So basically, I went into researcher mode and the first thing I did was to code all the statements shared with me by the folks I interviewed and common themes became the chapter headings. And I work off an outline form. This is something again that Judy Davidson hammered into me so I could move the sections around like a puzzle. And that was really helpful. I think the biggest decision I made was to separate out a couple of the interviews and create a chapter uh, just called a story of allyship and then lay out chapters that get into detail about how that story of allyship was effective. So after I share the story, I will write, you know, include a shorter chapter about gender evasiveness and relate it back to how we can observe something related to that in in the story. And I was just attempting to help the reader make these ideas about allyship more relatable and concrete, if they can see how it works in practice and realize how and why it's important. Uh, And again, I I do think
0: as soon as folks get their hands on this book, uh, you know, invite school librarians to get it on professional development shelves, invite your local librarian to make sure it's accessible there. Um, you You know, again, that's, I think, going to resonate with readers. Christy, I mentioned at the start that I'm excited to get to connect with you again in the future in our Queer Wisdom Slack channel. Again, that's at QueerWisdom.com. But of course, schools may also want to invite you uh, to work with them directly. And it's my understanding you you are doing that. You you do offer some, some virtual sessions. If there's a listener who is thinking, we would love to have Christy connect with our educator community, with our student community, or parent caretaker community, How can they connect with you? How would you invite them uh, to learn a little bit more about ways to
1: continue learning together with you? Well, people can contact me through my website, which is christywhittlesey.com. And I also have free resources for schools on the website if people want to explore those and learn a little bit more uh, outside of the books.
0: Okay, fantastic. We will be sure to include uh, your website. Your Twitter handle is also in the show notes. And of course, the link to both of your books. Uh, Listeners, if you are picking up a copy of the most recent one, please do uh, be sure to be sharing it on social media. I, I am also a big fan of Goodreads. I think the more that we can amplify these texts, sometimes we underestimate when we're sharing what we're reading. Uh, how that helps point other readers to these resources. So I hope to see on social media, lots of folks discussing this new resource. I think it's incredibly important. Christy, thank you again for getting this book out into the universe.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for all the great advocacy that you do as well. Well, thank you, Christy. Take care.